This morning, we are in part seven of our series entitled Breaking the Chains. And as we go through this chapter, chapter three this morning, we're going to see Paul dealing again with the issue of works-based religion infiltrating the message of the gospel of grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in this place, this house of worship, where we can open your word and study it, read it, apply it to our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the time of lifting up our voices and proclaiming your word. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives and in this church collectively. Lord, we ask now that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us through your word. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Now, honestly, before we're too hard on the Galatians, and as Paul's dealing with the Galatians, he's dealing with issues in the church. And so naturally, we would look at this church and say, why are they having these kind of problems? How could they be so foolish to make these kind of mistakes? But before we're too hard upon them for falling into a works-based religion, We need to understand that falling into such a thing where you feel like you need to earn your way or be good enough is a very easy thing to do because it really strokes our egos. It scratches that itch for, you know, self-worth or for self-accomplishment or even really self-motivation to push me to, to get to the next level. Now, the only problem with that way of thinking, quite frankly, is just that it's wrong. Works-based religions have everything to do with the individual trying to arrive in heaven and not the individual who came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ. And see, the Holy Spirit that is given to the follower of Jesus is actually the seal that you are born again and that you are a true follower of the Lord. Because you could be a very moral person here today. You could be a very kind and generous person or even a very nice person who's biblically literate. But if you do not rely upon having faith in Jesus for salvation, then you're not sealed with the Holy Spirit. And honestly and frankly, you are not a true follower of the Lord. And so heading into verse 1 of chapter 3, and our title for point number 1 is this, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand the role that the Holy Spirit plays in the life of the believer. And it says in verse 1, Paul writing chapter 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Now, just by way of show of hands, how many of you here today have ever done anything that was foolish? Oh, there are a couple of you here today. Paul leads with calling the Galatians foolish. Now, this is particularly important because often those that choose to work their way to heaven often find themselves full of themselves, admiring their efforts admiring their intellect or their spirituality. There is such room for personal pride and arrogance in the spiritual side of life when it comes to earning your way. Hey, I am a tier three, you are a negative tier five. You know, or whatever it might be. You cannot go to a greater degree of being dead spiritually than to think that you're righteous in and of yourself. 
You might think you're wise. I understand a lot about this belief system, but you're really, really foolish. I find it interesting that Paul uses the word bewitched here in verse 1. In the Greek language, it means this, to bring evil on one by fictitiously putting on an appearance of praise. Meaning, basically, that the false teachers that had infiltrated the church, they were using their influence upon the Galatians. They were using their influence uh, by, by using this works-based religion in the life of the Galatian Christians, they were using their influence to get the Galatians to think higher of themselves than they ought to have. And see, when you are involved with a works-based religion, it has everything to do with how amazing you're doing. Man, you are following all the rules. You are doing all the extra credit things that you can do to, to increase your grade. The false teachers charmed the Christians into believing a lie. That's the simple truth of it. The Galatians became concerned with their status, their good works. This is something that's still happening even today where a person following the religion is given something to work towards, something to earn, something to achieve, something to acquire. They may even make it so that it seems extremely exclusive. I mean, this is the the 1% group of people that will actually get to where they need to be. And you see this with cult groups out in the desert. You see this with celebrities and Scientology. And you can even see this in Mormonism as you're trying to earn your way to Godhood status, so to speak. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Your eyes clearly saw that it was Jesus Christ that was crucified for the sins of the world. Would you now seek to replace the death of Jesus on the cross with something that you could devise? With something other than Him? Do we find ourselves today looking to alternatives to faith alone and Christ alone and grace alone? How about this for our culture today? Is there a branch of quote-unquote Christianity that bends what the Bible says in order to accommodate you? Does it allow you to modify God's Word and what it says in order to give you control over your salvation? That you become the authority on what is right and what is wrong, what is pleasing to the Lord and what is displeasing to the Lord and what you need to do in addition to what God's Word says, or what you do by removing what God's Word says. Paul writes to the church and he says, you clearly saw the truth of the power of the death of Jesus for the sins of the world. Who's caused you to gaze elsewhere? Who has led you to look elsewhere for salvation? Who has flattered you into thinking that there is another way, another truth, another life? Furthermore, you've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, and now will you seek to find fulfillment in something else? For all of us here today, if anyone states that they follow God or even are a Christian, but do not rely upon faith in Jesus for salvation, then they are not filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, 
then it's impossible for you to please God, but you know what is possible? For you to please yourself. Really, I think the older we get, we start to realize that really the most important thing in this life is what happens in the next life. Because the older you get, the more you start to realize how short this life is. The more that you see of this world and how it's getting worse and worse and more evil and more evil, the more you long for something that is not like this. Life is short. Eternity is forever. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For we who are in this tent, or this body, Paul writes, this tent because a tent was meant not to be inhabited forever, but to help you have shelter as you pass through a certain area. As we're passing through this area called life, he says, we are in this tent and we groan and we're burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Basically saying that we might receive that gift of salvation and that that mortality, that death that is so real for every person that walks on this earth might be swallowed up by salvation. We groan for that. You know, when I see the things that are on social media, when I turn on the news, when I open my news app and I see all the headlines and I groan when I see the evil atrocities that are taking place in the world today. You know, we're, you know, (laughs) it's really interesting. I don't know if any of you have ever done garage sales, but we had one yesterday. And it's interesting the type of people that you'll meet at garage sales. And it's interesting the type of people that you meet when you actually start thinking about how can I have conversations with people around me. You know, I was speaking to my mailman yesterday because I always see him and uh, we always say, hey, how's it going from a distance, you know, and, and uh, uh, really, really nice, nice guy. And, and I, I just happened to see him pull up and I was walking out to the mailbox and I started talking to him and and I actually, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And, you know, and all this and, and come to find out that his wife had had uh, an injury to her back and that she had surgery and that she never recovered and that she was in a, a nursing home and that she wasn't doing well and was able to, to talk with him and pray with him and, you know, and then selling some end tables, you know, that we're getting rid of from our, our living room. You know, a guy, a gentleman comes over and, and buys them and we start talking about how his life is going and, and it was just so interesting to me how many hurting people there are in this world and how many people that you don't realize are going through such terrible, difficult things and experiencing such great pain and you'd have no idea. We groan. Our soul sighs because we're tired and we see the things that are happening in this life, the pain, the suffering. In this world, we groan. We agonize. When we don't feel as strong and healthy as we once were, we groan. You know, those groans get louder the older we get and the further down we have to bend over to pick things up. You know, I'll never forget hearing an older guy say, you know, when I bend down to pick things up, I see what else I can grab while I'm down there. You know, I have tendonitis in my, in my elbow. And occasionally I'll bump into something that just sends me through the roof. And it's usually when I get into my car and I close my door and it bumps my elbow. And it just literally, I feel like I'm going to be catapulted out of my top of my car. I groan. You know, when you see the repetitive nature of the things, problems that we face, we sigh. Not again. We're weighed down. We're burdened. Maybe we just want to be with the Lord. 
But we don't want to be found unprepared for our appearance before God. And this is the good thing for the follower of Jesus because it says in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 5, listen to this. Now He who has prepared us for this very thing, what very thing? Our standing before the Lord is God. And God has also given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. As a guarantee. Your faith in Jesus is what makes it possible for you to receive the Holy Spirit, which is your guarantee for eternal life. See, now if it would have said here in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 5 that the very thing that, you know, the person that has prepared us for this very thing, eternal life, is, you know, Larry over at Pep Boys, I'd be a little concerned. If it said the one that has prepared you for this thing called salvation is your pastor, if it said the one who's prepared you for eternal life was you, I would still be very concerned. It doesn't say that it was you know, Amazon.com that prepared your order of eternal life for you. It says that God's prepared you for salvation. God's prepared you for eternal life. And as a sign of that guarantee to you, He has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. In this world, we have tribulations, and the Holy Spirit is the very thing that we have right here, right now, with us, with immediate access to the Father. It may be not our time for us to go to heaven right now, but that time is still determined by the Lord. And yes, the Lord has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, if you will, for what lies ahead. Having the Holy Spirit is key. And you cannot have the Holy Spirit unless you have faith in Jesus, which leads us to point number two. Point number one was the gift of the Holy Spirit, and connecting that thought is point number two, which is the hearing of faith. And it says in verse two, this only I want to learn from you. He asks them this question. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Let's put it in context for us today. Did you receive the Holy Spirit in trying to be a good person? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Let me say it again. Let me ask it again. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by trying to be a good person? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by trying to have your good works outweigh your bad works? See, I think these questions are so important for us in our culture today because we have a fundamental foundational truth pertaining to eternal salvation that is missing. It's missing from our minds. See, we'll look at our sin and we'll all say, yeah, I've done wrong things. Who has it? I mean, I've done things that I know that I ought not to be doing. So when we look at sin, and let's just forget the fact that people want to be able to do what they decide is right and wrong. Let's just remove that for a moment. That people believe. People just believe that your good deeds must outweigh your bad deeds. That seems to be a given when it comes to, hey, how do you get to heaven? Will you be a good person? How do you know if you're a good person? Well, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Right? That's a given. Because if you don't have your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you're going to hell. You know, you'll come back as a mosquito instead of a cow. You know, it's called karma or whatever. We're missing the point completely when it comes to being made alive spiritually. We are born dead in our trespasses and in our sins, the Bible tells us. This is how we begin life as sinners. Now, we may look cute as babies. We'll 
most of us anyways, but we all have sinful natures. We all are born with a sinful nature. But when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are forgiven of that sin. You are forgiven of the sin that you could never remove or counterbalance yourself. And you're made alive spiritually through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given only to those that have faith in Jesus. That's it. The Holy Spirit is not given to good people. He's not given to those practicing other religions. The Holy Spirit is given to those that have put their faith in Jesus. And that same Holy Spirit that empowers the Christian for daily life upon this earth is also the same Holy Spirit that guarantees your going to heaven. See, the person that does not have faith in Jesus, that is not following after Jesus, is in a works-based religion. And that means that they do not have eternal security. They do not have that. You ask any person in any religion, when will you know if you are good enough to get to heaven? And they'll say, after I am dead. After I'm dead. And then you might even present the question, isn't that a little too late of a time to find out if you were good enough. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 5, remember it's He who has prepared us for this thing. And that's God who has prepared us. And He's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. So if you've come to the place in your life where you have understood what it means to have faith in Jesus, now Paul writing to the church in Galatians, you've understood what it means to have faith in Jesus. How could you be so foolish to go back to living in a manner of of life that will never help you? It'll never help you. How could you be so foolish to start to think that now you could earn your way or earn God's love or be good enough by following a list of rules or adhering to man's traditions? Galatians, how could you do that? It's such a foolish thing. Such a foolish thing. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by keeping the rules or by the hearing of faith? It's such a trap for Christians, and I'll even add church leaders to fall into. And you might wonder, well, what trap is that? Well, Paul lays it out in the next verse, verse 3. He says, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Beginning in the Spirit, but seeking to finish in the flesh. Do you not understand that in the flesh dwells no good thing? Paul said this, Romans 7, verses 18 through 19. From the New Living Translation, he says, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. And I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. That's the flesh. So having that understanding, how can we rely upon the flesh to not fulfill the lusts of the flesh? How can we rely upon our own power to not give in to our own sinful desires? Furthermore, how can I progress from the place that I'm currently in, which, by the way, 
I only arrived at by the power of the Holy Spirit in my own strength. How can I move forward? If I've begun in the Spirit and the Lord has brought me thus far by the power of the Holy Spirit, how do I think that I can continue the rest of the journey in my own strength? Often, you'll see in the beginning work of the Lord a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. Something happens in your life and you're revolutionized. You're changed. You're not doing the things that you used to do. You're not saying the things you used to say. Your desires start to change. You want to be holy as the Lord is holy. You start reading your Bible. Your friends start noticing that you're changing. Your family thinks that you're having a mental breakdown because you're following Jesus. I remember my brother years ago was in a relationship and he had walked away from the Lord for a number of years and was in an ungodly relationship. And he got radically saved. And all the things that he heard growing up, all the Bible studies, all the memory verses, all the things that were seeds planted in his heart when the Holy Spirit took control of his life, they bore fruit instantly. I remember him saying, I know verses that I had no idea that I knew. I have like this on fire feeling for the Lord. And him and his girlfriend decided because they were well along their way in their relationship to go to a counselor because she thought that he was losing it. And she said, you know, her brothers are pastors, or she said that, well, his brothers are pastors. They're these real crazy Jesus fanatic people. And I'll mean this to poke fun I'm just telling you the story and and the counselor asked my brother well do you want to be a pastor too and he's like maybe I do to which she immediately said oh my you know and started having a breakdown herself because there was a change there the Holy Spirit moved Having begun in the Spirit, are you going to now regress into thinking that you can be made perfect in the flesh? The beginning stages of the work of the Holy Spirit where there's just such a dependency, a complete dependency upon the Lord to help us get through, to help us overcome, to provide for our needs. But then something happens. Maybe we become more secure financially so that we don't pray for the Lord to help provide for our needs every month. Maybe we're in remission. Maybe we don't struggle with that particular malady anymore. Maybe we're, we're in a place where we now have systems and protocols that are in place. Protocols in place for these type of situations so we don't really need to pray and seek counsel from the Lord because now all this stuff is set up. Man, we began in the Holy Spirit, but now we're perfecting what was the Holy Spirit's work by our flesh. It's at that point that we are no longer in the place that we ought to be, but rather we're in danger of backsliding and withering away spiritually. The things that we endured as new Christians. Maybe we suffered persecution. You know, all Christians experience some sort of persecution, some more extreme than others, some, you know, lose more than others. 
But we all experience pain. We all experience loss. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a, a status thing. Who knows? The things that we endured as new Christians, were they really for nothing now because we're comfortable for where we're at now? Verse 4 says, Have we suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain? The Galatian Christians, they endured persecution. Paul endured persecution. Like I already mentioned, we all do. Because now though, is this in vain? Because now you're in a place where it's not about Jesus crucified and the power of the Holy Spirit, but rather you attempting to be made righteous in the sight of God by keeping the rules. Keeping the traditions. Have you had such a sweet experience with God all for nothing? Think back. Paul writes, did you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through the keeping of the law or through the hearing of faith? Is that what made you alive spiritually, trying to be a better person, trying to have your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds? He says in verse 5, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles even among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How is that for a rhetorical question? And what a pertinent question I think it is for us. Anyone seeking to earn their way to heaven or to find God's love by being good enough to receive it. The fact is, as the Scriptures say in Romans 3.10, there is not one righteous person, no, not even one. Faith is the foundation for following Jesus and being made righteous in the sight of God. Faith. Faith. But not all accept that it's through faith in Jesus that one finds salvation. Not everybody receives that. To that end, Paul writes in Romans 10, verses 16 through 17, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Then he says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes through hearing The Word of God. It's through the hearing of the Word of God that our faith is activated. It's the unadulterated, pure Word of the Lord that stirs our hearts, that quickens our minds, and that saves the soul. So we want to talk about good deeds outweighing bad deeds. Sin remains there regardless of how outweighed you think your good deeds are. It's still there. But see, the issue that we don't get to on the next level of that discussion is the power of the Holy Spirit that actually makes you alive and guarantees your salvation. Because you could be a good person that is still dead in their trespasses and in their sins. And only the follower of Jesus who through hearing the Word of God and puts their faith in Jesus receives that guarantee of the Holy Spirit. So if you have faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And that's your guarantee. That power that raised Jesus from the dead will raise you from the dead. That power that gave Jesus victory over temptation gives you victory over temptation. And you become a true son of God. Not thee, you become a child of the Lord. A son or a daughter. That leads us to point number three, our final point this morning, which is the sons of God. 
In John chapter 8, Jesus going back and forth with the religious leaders of his day regarding being descendants of Abraham as a basis for their righteousness said in John 8, 39. Actually, this is going to be a back and forth. First, the religious leader said Jesus replies, and I want to emphasize what Jesus says. But in verse 39 of John 8, the religious leaders said to Jesus, Abraham is our father. This was their case for being righteous in the, in the sight of God. We're descendants of Abraham. And then Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. What was the work of Abraham? Now right away, if you're sharp, you'd be thinking, wait, Abraham did a work to be righteous? Abraham earned his way? What is this all about? Well, very simply, no. Abraham did not earn his way. See, Abraham believed, as it now says in verse 6 of chapter 3, so look at verse 6 of Galatians 3, it says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. See, it was by faith in God's promises that Abraham was made righteous. It is by faith in God's promises that you are made righteous, that you're given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your salvation and have an eternity to spend in heaven. Sin and the lack of the Holy Spirit places us in a very precarious situation. And might I add, that's an understatement. Sin separates us from God. Sin brings forth physical and spiritual death. Without the Holy Spirit, we remain dead in our trespasses and in our sins and without hope of ever pleasing God by our actions. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, it's because you do not have faith. And if you do not have faith in Jesus, it is impossible for you to please God. So your righteousness, as it says in Isaiah, are as filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. Our good deeds, mine and yours, apart from faith in Jesus, are as filthy rags in the sight of God. And so without the Holy Spirit means I'm without faith, and without faith I cannot be pleasing to the Lord, and I'm in a very bad spot. In Hebrews 11.6 it says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it doesn't matter who your parents were or your grandparents or what ethnicity you may be. It doesn't matter. Your genealogy. Where you come from? I come from a long line of pastors or I come from a long line of you know, people of faith. In that same chapter of John, chapter 8, Jesus goes on to tell those same religious leaders, those that were practicing Judaism, which, by the way, is the same exact thing that the Galatian Christians had fallen into after receiving Jesus, says John 8.34, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. You're a slave to sin. That means if you've sinned one time, you are a slave to sin. Now that might seem pretty outlandish. Jesus said, you sin, you're a slave to sin. doesn't matter who you are. You have a sinful nature. 
Sinful natures play themselves out in our thoughts, in our words that we speak, in our actions. If you're controlled by sin, then you're a slave to sin, and then the Bible tells us the soul that sins will die. However, that is why Jesus came and died on the cross. We deal with the issue of sin and we're given the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. And that's why Paul opens up in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You clearly saw the power of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for the remission of sins. Are you going to turn in a different direction? And even as the leaders, the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day mistakenly relied upon their Ancestry.com printout to be righteous, the Galatian Christians would be, as, would be corrected as well. Even as Jesus corrected the Jewish leaders of his day, Paul is correcting the Galatians who had heard these things. What things? That you must be a follower of the traditions of Judaism in order to truly have a relationship with God. Paul corrects them as what it means to be a true follower of God, to be a true son of Abraham. Therefore, verse 7 Know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. It doesn't say those that keep the traditions are sons of Abraham. In verse 8 it says in the Scripture, listen to this, this is so amazing for you and for me today. In verse 8 it says in the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all nations shall be blessed. God is not duplicitous. He is not saying one thing to this person and something different to that person. It is through faith that we are saved. And it has been that way since the beginning, and it will be that way until the end. So as the Judaizers who infiltrated, and I use that word, very purposefully, infiltrated the Galatian church to lead Christians astray from faith alone for salvation, even claiming as those in Jesus' day did that you know, one was a true descendant of Abraham you know, if you kept these traditions, and that's how you based your righteousness before God if you kept the law. True sons of Abraham were not those that sought to be made righteous by their good deeds, but they were those that had faith. Those that believed. They believed the promises of the Lord. In John 1, verse 12, John writes and says this. This is the Gospel of John. But as many as received Jesus, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. They believe in His name. To those who believe... He gave the right to be called sons of God. To those who believe, He gave the right to be called children of God. The person that does not have faith in Jesus is not forgiven of their sins and does not have the Holy Spirit. You cannot remove the Holy Spirit from the salvation equation. On the surface level, our culture wants to talk about good deeds, but you've got to go all the way down the line. Why is the Christian separated from all other religions 
people that follow all other world religions in this world. Why? How? How do I have eternal security? How do I know I'm going to heaven? How? It's through believing. It's through faith in Jesus. And then you're given that guarantee, salvation, because you have the Holy Spirit. And it's only made available for those that follow Jesus. In verse 9 it says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Through faith we have the Holy Spirit. Through the hearing of faith, we are led to salvation. Through faith we are given the right to be children of God. That's you. That's me. That's your Father in heaven. Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, he said, our Father in heaven. That's our heavenly Father. And he is our heavenly Father because we have faith in Jesus. And so the next time you feel like, man, I got to make up for my my mistakes this past week. I, I, I better, you know, kind of get that tail, uh, that scale tipping in, in the right direction again. I, I, I better make sure that I'm where I, where I should be and, and, you know, the good deeds outweighing the bad deeds. No, listen to me. We love the Lord much because we have been forgiven much. I am not able to earn that love from the Lord because that's not how it works. It means that I can't do anything to be loved more or to be loved less. I don't love Hudson or Ava or Harrison less when they disobey. Your Heavenly Father doesn't love you less when you make a mistake when you sin. Now, does this mean you're just like, hey, Lord, put it on my tab? No, because then there's something wrong with your heart. And if your kids continue to do what's wrong, then you need to take action. Because we're more concerned with the issue of our children's heart and doing what's right. Even so, the Lord is concerned with His children's heart doing what's right. It's because of the Lord's great love for you and for me that spurs me to want to do things that please the Lord. It's because I have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life that I am able to overcome sin and do things that are pleasing to the Lord. So we cannot ignore the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can't ignore that. We can't ignore that salvation comes through the hearing of God's Word. And it's through that faith that we are given the right to be called the children of the Lord. And so Paul, as we wrap up our study this morning, dealing with the issue, are you being so foolish to go back into a way of thinking that is contrary to what you know to be true because you've experienced it, and even furthermore, because God's Word states it? Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for giving us this place that we can call home that we can come on a Sunday morning, Lord, and worship You and study Your Word. Father, I pray that each of us would continue to work out our own salvation. Lord, not earning our way, and that's not what it means, but it means, Lord, that we would continue to own the truths of Your Word found in Your Holy Word and apply those things in our lives on a daily basis. I pray, Lord, that You would help us, Father, to walk humbly before You, I ask, Lord, 
that we would not become complacent. I ask that that which was begun in the Holy Spirit working in our lives would not be made perfect in the flesh or that we would not even seek to be made perfect in the flesh. Lord, we need You every single day. We need the power of Your Holy Spirit in every single way. We ask, Lord, that You would please fill us afresh with Your Holy Spirit. Please, Father, fall upon us in a fresh way today. Send Your Holy Spirit, that helper, Lord. Help us to be the men and women that You've created us to be. Help us, Lord, to be able to tackle the real issues of life and to be able to give a reasonable explanation for the hope that we have in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that You would continue to have Your perfect work accomplished here in this church and as the people go to their families, back to their families, back to their homes, back to their communities, Lord, that they be led by Your Spirit, empowered by Your Spirit for the work that You've called them to do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. Let's all...